Hello and welcome to the Real Estate Investment Insights Podcast. I'm your host, Derek Doak. Uh, today is our last podcast for 2021 and what a year it has been. I mean, part of 2021 feels like Groundhog's Day from 2020, but uh, economy just continues to roll, housing market, real estate market, everything's pretty crazy here in the Pacific Northwest. And we're very fortunate to carve out some time here with Matthew Gardner. Um, aside from saying poppycock, we all know Matthew as an incredible uh, economist. Uh, he's been in the Northwest for many, many years. And uh, I always look to him as it relates to my clients and looking for advice from, uh, from Matthew. So Matthew, if you don't mind, maybe give a little background on yourself before launching into those who may not know who you are, uh, and then we'll kind of proceed from there. Of course. And good to see you again, Derek. Um, as you mentioned, I'm Matthew Gardner. I'm the Chief Economist for Windermere Real Estate. Uh, I've been analyzing housing and the economy in general, oh my Lord, almost 30 years. Uh, and so it's, uh, and clearly these are very interesting times. I'm naturally, Windermere is based in the Northwest. Uh, we have about six and a half thousand brokers across 10 states and the Baja Peninsula down in Mexico. And so it's uh, what's been happening through naturally COVID has impacted not just the economy, but all real estate markets. And uh, I'm looking forward to talking with you about that today. Yeah, well, I know that uh, you've got a lot of uh, input that comes from the field, which is what I really like about your insight is, is one thing you might read in an article, but by the time you read that article, it could already be a month or a cycle even behind. Um, so we're looking forward to hearing kind of the, the boots on the ground kind of responses to these. So uh, let's jump right into it and talk about kind of going into 2022. I mean, there's been a lot of talk about what's going on with the tax rules, all those things, which are different noises, but the housing market. I mean, I'm watching these houses around my neighborhood. Just They come up on the market and they're gone within days. I mean, is that going to continue in the 2022? I mean, as an investor, what should we be looking for? And what are the signs out there? Well, I mean, housing obviously is a very, very, very broad topic. So well, so I'll start with the with the ownership housing market, because naturally that's the biggest thing uh, for my company. We uh, sell about, I don't know, $36 billion for the houses this year. So it, it's uh, front and center in my world. When it comes to uh, the ownership market, a couple of things are, are fascinating. One of which is when the pandemic kicked in, uh, what was quite remarkable from, from an economic perspective is that we, we in essence, we shut the turn the lights off, for want of a better word. And, uh, and that's because of it, we had a massive immediate contraction in employment. Now, we did start recovering from that actually rather quickly. But what has been the shining light, in my opinion, when it comes to uh, the economic recovery has been the housing market, which, again, quite frankly, brokers took a couple of weeks off back in, uh, in April and May. Knocks they wanted to, they were forced to because for a period of time, selling homes was not considered uh, an industry that's that important. And so when they were allowed to start selling houses again, the, it, we, the market recovered literally as if nothing had ever happened. So that's the positive part. But what has been fascinating is what's been driving that. Well, naturally, mortgage rates. So we hit lows more than 12 times uh, during the course of the pandemic in terms of the conventional 30-rate fixed mortgage. So financing costs, which for a while were below 3% on a conventional 30-year, cheap, well, I mean, certainly we've never seen it lower since that mortgage product was put in in 1971. So very, very cheap. But some other things came into play as well, and one of which was the pandemic and its impact 
on where people were looking to live. And that, I think, is something which we've already seen occurring. There's still some misnomers about that. A lot of people thought that work from home was going to be something that would lead everyone to move to uh, Alabama uh, and work there. But it has not happened. And what's interesting about that is that the work from home paradigm that is real, it's not going to go away this time around, as and when we start getting some clarity from businesses, of course, most people were going to be, or most companies were thinking about making those decisions on Labor Day. Then the Delta variant kicked in. They kicked the can down the road again to say, well, the first of the year then. Well, then Omicron came along. And uh, and I think so for a lot of companies, they're still uncertain about how that's going to look. But the bottom line is that for most companies, it's going to be a blend. It's not black and white. Be a couple of days in the office, a couple of days uh, at home, whatever that may look like. So that has already led people to, to move, but they've not been disappearing to the wild blue yonder. They've been staying relatively proximate to their workplaces. Now, here in Seattle, for example, that means uh, continued increased interest in Snohomish County, in Pierce County. And I'm actually quite excited about Kitsap County as well. And so this is nothing new. Uh, Historically speaking, you lived uh, as far as close as you could to where you worked, which meant that home prices closer to the job centers rose exponentially. And that's why King County is significantly more expensive than Snohomish or indeed Pierce. That is is actually going to push, I think, people further out. So one of the big stories, I believe, for 2022 will be the rise of the suburbs. Uh, We're going to see a real uh, reinvigoration uh, in that respect. Now, on the pricing side, well, it comes back to that supply and demand. It's old Econ 501. And uh, a couple of things come into play there as well, one of which is we're living in our homes, or at least we were until the pandemic started, for twice as long as we were in 2000. So we're not seeing that churn. We're not seeing that turnover. But more importantly, new construction. We continue to add to our population, admittedly at slower rates last year, but it's still positive. And the trouble is that we're not building enough homes. Now, as we don't see construction starts at the level you'd like to see to meet that population growth, that puts upward pressure on the existing inventory. And that is what's been pushing home prices up in our region in those mid-teens percentage-wise, which is certainly unsustainable. So the positive, if you're a homeowner, you've made a gob of equity over the course of the last couple of years. However, if you are a first-time buyer, for example, who, by the way, a lot of these kids or younger people, sorry, living close, uh, renting close to where they work, again, if they're being told they can only come in a few days a week, that allows them to look further out to markets that they hopefully can afford in to buy. But builders have not been addressing that massive pent-up demand. So I'm hopeful we'll see some softening in material costs that hopefully will lead uh, to increased development activity. But the issue we have here, quite frankly, is land. There's not enough of it. And I will give you a little slight one aside in that respect, and that is the fact that, technically speaking, uh, a, a first-time buyer household making well, for a bit below median income for that county, there's only four counties in the state that are technically affordable for first-time buyers. That's a problem. So we really need to start figuring out how to add to supply given where land prices are and the fact that builders are building to the luxury market because they have to. And, and, and do you see um, 
going into 2022, is there any uh, interest rate rise is going to cause any impact on this? I mean, um, I understand the whole, you've built up some equity in your home, but if you were to sell, where are you going to move to anyways, right? Exactly I mean, right. Everyone's yeah. run those numbers multiple times on the back of a napkin and realize they should just stay put and just hold on. Um, so, well, that's okay. So it's going to be the case, obviously, unless you are going to move to Alabama or Ohio or something like that, right. then, then that's a whole different kettle of fish. Go there, buy a castle. Uh, however, uh, there are a couple of headwinds which we're going to see more of uh, in the course of 2022. One, as you mentioned, mortgage rates. Yes, they're going to rise. However, I'm not seeing conventional 30-year rates break above 4% until 2023. And it's not just me that thinks that. My colleagues over at Fannie Mae, Freddie Mac, Wells, and those other guys, we're all pretty much in a very tight uh, band on where we think mortgage rates will end next year. So they are going to go up. However, not to the extent, I, I believe, that will call, have a palpable impact on home price growth. However, that said, for every one percentage point increase in mortgage rates, that decreases someone's buying power by 10%. They can afford to buy 10% less house. So that will be a headwind. But the more important headwind is going to be affordability. The market is becoming, not said not just in Seattle, Western Washington, in fact, most of the state, becoming unaffordable, even in Spokane. In Spokane, people are now doing what? They're buying homes in Post Falls, Idaho, and commuting to Spokane. Never thought I would ever say that. So uh, that is very much the case. So yes, prices are going to continue to appreciate in 2022, but at a rate that's likely to be around half uh, of the growth we saw in 2021. Yeah, well, I, it, it seems like, especially on the east side in Seattle, I mean, there's so many companies, strong companies moving into the area and bringing in some great talent, um, economic talent, as well as you know, just individuals. Um, so it's, it's, it's amazing when I start looking at the, the growth, because as you know, I'm on the commercial real estate side. So on the commercial side, when I look at retail, I look at office, I look at industrial. I mean, all of that is hitting all time highs for cap rates on the value um, and supply. It's supply and demand. There's just not enough of it out there. And every office that gets built all of a sudden is being pre-leased. And so it's, where are these people going to move to? Well, right. So, well, lots of lots of things to pass within your your last statement. <laughs> First off, east side, absolutely. And what's everyone talking about right now? And they have been for a year at least. Amazon, and uh, not just in Bellevue, in Redmond, where going to be home of their low Earth orbit satellite group and the old JC Penney's there. Uh, as I look at Amazon as a company for the next five years, all of its growth in terms of, of its uh, square footage occupation of office space is going to be on the east side. It is not going to be in Seattle. So is that going to benefit the east side in general and certainly Bellevue? Very, very much so. On the development side, as you mentioned, well, the one good thing about it is that a lot of developers, they were very reluctant to break ground unless they had an anchor tenant in place. Smart, quite frankly. Lessons still learned from the Great Recession. And so that has been a positive. Um, but uh, again, I do expect to likely see more activity in Bellevue and on the east side in general, and even Kirkland, as we know, what's going with Redmond with Microsoft's revigorizing the, the, their campus. Uh, it's going to come there. Unfortunately, not so much in Seattle. And a lot of that is a function, quite frankly, uh, of the political environment within the city. 
Yeah. Yeah. And, and being a, a real estate investor and a lot of my audience are investors looking for opportunities. Um, you know, Snohomish County, I mean, I just started doing a deal up in Snohomish right now, uh, which is a, a great little retail location um, in South Sound. So you see the North and South, South Sound areas, you know, the, the Tacomas, parts of Lakewood, University Place, those areas, and even Olympia, you're starting to hear more about Olympia kind of kicking in. So, I mean, what, what are you seeing out there from the economic side in those areas? Right. Well, I, I think it's so much a function of, of the asset class we're talking about. Um I totally agree with you. I think Tacoma, as uh, we've well, seen a lot uh, of uh, incubator companies start to look there um, as a function of lower rental rates, as well as more affordable housing, no question about it. Uh, but it's very unlikely. I mean, like everyone's asked me, quite frankly, for the 20 plus years I've been in Seattle, well, when's it going to be Tacoma's turn? When's it going to be Everett's turn? And I tend to say the same thing, and I, I still do. That is, it's very unlikely to see these massive jumps away from the predominant job centers of Seattle and Bellevue. It tends to be more of a ripple. And if that's the case, it's going to ripple down through Renton. I'm sure people like Michael Chris would be very hopeful and thankful should that occur, uh, rather than taking these big leaps. But I'm certainly uh, quite excited about Tacoma's prospects. Uh, I think that Tacoma will start seeing those benefits likely before we see them in Everett. However, at the same time, uh, you look at some of these, again, I mentioned neighborhoods and suburbs. If you look at the Snohomish King County line, for example, there's a lot of people moving up there. We're seeing massive gentrification in areas like um, Lake Forest Park, certainly Mount Lake Terrace. That's going to start driving some increased interest in retail. Now, the retail world is is one I really don't live in, um, but I've, I've said for a number of years, and I'll say it again, and that is our regional malls in the country, we're going to lose half of them in the next decade. Uh, don't worry, Kemper Freeman, you're going to be fine. I think Bellevue is going to be okay, but uh, we are going to lose a lot of those. And as far as the strip malls, well, for strip malls, we're not overdeveloped, we're just under-demolished. Uh, and so that is, I think, uh, an asset class, which I, I, I doesn't make any sense, quite frankly. So the retail world, I think, is still going through some machinations, certainly ground floor retail because of COVID uh, it is still struggling. Um, but on the other asset classes, you mentioned uh, down Olympia. Well, if we look at it, let's look at industrial. Kent Valley was always the, the panacea uh, of the industrial community. Makes sense, got a billion square foot market, et cetera, et cetera. But it has moved further south. It has moved down uh, into Thurston County and, uh, and even Mason County. So that um, asset class, yes, it's not sexy. Tilt up, uh, it really isn't but it relies very heavily on population growth uh, and demographic growth. And there is still certainly warehouse distribution side, uh, continued demand. I mean, we, uh, we all pray to the Amazon gods these days for, for deliveries. Uh, and that I think is uh, a, an area which is right now, we're in certainly well below 5% vacancy rates. We're seeing rental rates uh, are really quite extraordinary. And I'm, I'm excluding flex space in that. They're up now probably 25% in the last couple of years. So it's that I think is uh, has been has been a shining light through this pandemic as well. So the last asset class can be apartments. And the apartment world certainly suffered due to the moratoria on evictions. However, a misnomer was that these large apartment developments or projects, rather, people weren't paying their rent. In fact, they uh, actually were for the better part. But it is a smaller mum and pup uh, landlords that have been suffering 
specifically in the single family rental market. And what we found there is that through this moratoria, uh, and certainly even today, the, the ongoing moratoria we see in the city of Seattle, which is the winter eviction moratoria that they put in place several years ago, uh, and that is people are not paying their rent. They're also not paying their utilities either. And that means ultimately some of those houses are having liens put on them. The landlords are saying, you know, ultimately to heck with this. We are a thriving market right now. I'll just sell and do something else with that money. And the trouble with that is it reduces the stock of single family rentals. Not everyone wants to rent an apartment. You do have a lot of households with children renting single family homes that still need to be close to where they live. And because of that, the bottom line is that we diminish supply. We still have demand. And that's going to actually lead rental rates, I believe, higher a bit quicker than I would like to see just based upon supply and demand. Yeah. And and are you seeing, are there any communities, whether it's on the west side of the mountains or east side of the mountains that are kind of surprising you that all of a sudden they're just kind of popping up and you're seeing a lot of Clark County. housing? Yeah. Clark County uh, is really, I mean, if you look at, at uh, well, actually I just wrote a paper about Clark County for a, an article that's going to be published shortly. Uh, and what's fascinating there is the fact that, according to the Office of Financial Management, it's not the Census Bureau, but Clark County added about uh, 90, almost 9,800 people in 2021. I mean, that's second only to King County and Snohomish County. So you're seeing a lot of migration of people coming out of Portland Metro, living in Clark County, to a couple of reasons. One, ownership housing is cheaper than in the Portland Metro, certainly cheaper than Multnomah County. Uh, but the tax uh, benefits as well. So we're seeing a significant amount of growth around that Vancouver market. Port of Vancouver is starting to do some uh, interesting things as well. So I think Clark County is one which I will be watching going forward. It's recovered all of the jobs lost due to COVID-19 and added on about another 4,000. So it's in pretty good shape. Outside of that, Spokane uh, is, is a market which really has been doing remarkably well. Now it has a very significant exposure to healthcare uh, in that arena. And through COVID, that's done remarkably well. But it's suffering some of those uh, growth pains that these other markets are. And I mentioned Clark County, for example. I mean, if you look at apartments, well, one bedroom rents there are at a price now only below that of the central Puget Sound. They've got a vacancy rate of 1.7%. So extraordinarily tight. But across the state, across the region, we are going to be bringing on more supply uh, of apartments in 2022. That is likely going to cause some slowing in that pace of appreciation of rents. Uh, but uh, those, I'd say Clark County would be a, a market I'd be keeping an eye on, certainly uh, Snohomish County as well. Those are two that really kind of ring true to me. Yeah, and I've been hearing from some uh, investor types that have been looking over the Bremerton market, you know, ah, yes. Over- on that side, and you're starting to hear of a couple of well-named and well-heeled um, developers picking up some swaths of land over there uh, to do some uh, to do some housing. Well, they the couple of things about uh, Kitsap County. One, they certainly have got more land, um, which is a good thing, and naturally that lowers the basis. Uh, the Bremerton market, Bremerton's fascinating. It's always wanted to be something for, for decades, quite frankly, and they brought in that new boardwalk, and everyone thought it's going to be there the opening for things great. Uh, I think it's going to have some potential. What I would like to see, however, is the Bremerton passenger-only ferry not breaking down every day. 
Uh, if it managed to achieve that, that's going to help. Uh, but Bremerton and exposure, obviously, to Navy and the shipyard there goes through its ebbs and flows because of that. Um, but recent announcements for a significant amount of government spending in Bremerton uh, through the Navy uh, is, is going to be a positive for that market. So, yeah, I, I mentioned at the opening of our discussion, Kitsap County has got a lot of things going for it. Not just Bremerton, Poolsburg, Silverdale uh, are other areas which I think uh, have that potential as well. But Bremerton, yeah, I think it's some. it might be their day now eventually. Yeah, no, you, you you hear you hear about a few of those outlying communities that have always been kind of on the cusp, right? I mean, I grew up in the South Sound, uh, went to Sumner High School, you know, back in the 80s. And Tacoma's always been the, hey, when are we going to have our shiny exactly. moment? Yeah. And, um, and I like parts of Tacoma, North Tacoma, University Place. I mean, there's some beautiful areas and great old homes down there. Oh, sure. I mean, mass transit's improving there. Uh, and actually, obviously, UW Outreach is there. Uh, yeah. So there's a lot of a lot of things going for it. So I think that's going to be the, the case. And uh, I mean, nothing happens overnight. It never does. Right. But I think for so many people, uh, and certainly if you look at employees, they really are waiting for that clarity from their companies as to if they have to come back to work, if they do, uh, how long. And that's going to drive some of their decision making on where they want to live. And of course, as we see that movement in population, uh, it's that has benefits, certainly, to other markets, especially when it comes to retail uh, and other service sector industries. Uh, but we're still, everyone hoped we would know what was going on by now, but uh, all these ongoing variants uh, of COVID-19 are just hazing the forecast just a little bit. Yeah. yeah. Is there anything in 2022 we should be looking out for? What are the kind of indices that you're watching um, for 2022 uh, that would kind of say, hey, I, I, I want to tighten up the belt a little bit, get a little more conservative? Um, is, there, well, is there anything you're really watching for that? Well, I mean, inflation, naturally, um, and that has significant impacts across the board. And the trouble is for employers, they're almost being hit by a, a proverbial double whammy. You're in a situation whereby the employment market is remarkably tight. Uh, and it really is. We've got more job openings than unemployed people. And so that means one thing. One, you've got to pay more to attract new staff. But more importantly, your existing staff, they can move. They're, they're starting to think about what they want in the future in a different way because of COVID-19. So to keep these good people on uh, employed, you've got to pay them more as well. So, uh, and over and above that, naturally, where, where inflation is, and that causes upward pressure on wages. So I think that is certainly something which a lot of CFOs, if nothing else, are going to be very thoughtful about uh, as it goes uh, as we go through the course of next year. Uh, and its potential impact on on bottom line margins. So, but I, I'm watching inflation. I still think, although uh, Janet Yellen did say, well, maybe transitory is not the right word, <clears throat> but I still think it is. But it's just transitory over a longer period of time. Uh, and as such, I think that inflation is going to remain well above the uh, long term average through next year. It's not going to cut peter back down into that that two percent range until 2023. But it is going to gradually get better. But there is impact in the bottom line of, of certain industries uh, on the wage side as much as anything else. So I, I am watching inflation. I'm also watching the labor force. Now, the labor force is interesting. Uh, naturally went through major machinations uh, when COVID-19 hit. And a lot of that was driven by people saying, well, maybe I should just retire. And so those people disappeared. Then you got this younger 
generation who are just not quite sure what they want to do and where they want to be. So I, I do watch the labor force numbers quite quite closely to see what it's going to look like and are we actually going to have enough people coming here. I still think the Pacific Northwest in aggregate uh, is set to outperform, certainly outperform the nation. Uh, and the Puget Sound quite definitely will, will do that. And so that's a good thing. Um, we're also seeing a lot of people come out here from California as well, where they quite frankly consider housing to be cheap. California lost population last year, which it historically never does. Uh, but issues with fly fires, climate change are pushing a lot of people into Oregon, into Washington, but they're also going to Utah. They're also going to Austin, Texas, believe it or not. So we are, I think what I would watch is how we see that migratory pattern occurring and what potentially are going to be the impacts to not just the housing market, but the commercial office market as well. A lot of people did talk about the fact that, well, companies are going to downsize to 50% of their existing footprint. No, they won't. I just don't see that occurring. And the reason why I say this, I can go back to grad school where we used to calculate office demand by looking at office using employment growth, multiply that by 250 square feet, which would be gross square feet per employee. That comes up with your demand for office space. About 250 over time, because of technology, dropped down to 135, 140. At Amazon, 90 square feet per employee. But what I see as we go forward, yeah, it wouldn't surprise me to see uh, overall uh, footprint drop down by maybe 10%. But a lot of it, that's going to be a function of more square feet, feet per employee rather than less because of social distancing, which again is something which I don't think we're going to get away from. More private offices, hadn't seen that before, but also office hoteling, more of that uh, occurring. So I think we could see slightly less demand for office space, but it's certainly not going to be uh, the, the evisceration that some have suggested. Yeah, it reminds me of the when they came out with scanners. And remember when they came out with scanners and we're not going to print as much paper, we're going to save so much paper. Paper sales, just raw paper has been growing every year of how much people buy and print. We are printing more than we ever have before with all the capabilities of scanning and printing and cloud storage and everything else. And um, I think it's helping with strategies. I know for us, we look at it from a strategy perspective of employees of being able to work remotely apart and having a little more work-life balance. Um, but we're not looking at shrinking up our space. We're not looking at saying, how do we take less space? It's how do we just accommodate you know, more talent? And that's true. And the biggest thing, we've tried this work from home program before. We tried it back in the early 1990s and it failed horribly for a couple of reasons. One of which is um, the employers. Well, they thought that their employees were watching daytime TV all day long and not working. Well, thank you, Zoom. Uh, we've now figured that one out. Um, but the employees who originally thought, wouldn't it be great to kind of roll out of bed in your bunny slippers down to the office and start working? Well, they missed those discussions around the water cooler. They missed that symbiosis. Um, but today, the, the world has changed a bit. Now, certainly it's true for employees. We are social creatures. I know having spent a year uh, working from my dining room table, not the nicest place to work all day long, every day. Uh, but they also found people were working longer at home rather than the opposite because it was so convenient. Uh, but for an employer now, well, they're, they're less concerned about whether you're working or not because they know you are. They can track you far easier but they're worried about other things such as training. Now, you say, well, we've got Zoom. 
I think so many people have suffering from Zoom fatigue. Uh, we've done it now for way too long. And certain industries, it's more important to be face-to-face than others. So uh, I, I think that we will see some shifts, certainly. Certainly, there will be people who will work, work from home for the, in perpetuity. But a lot of worries, certainly about uh, lack of office users, mainly in the tech sector where they can work from home. But I would offer a slightly different position on that. And that is this. Yes, tech, very big presence here in Seattle. Uh, in fact, in our region. But where we might lose people, we're actually going to gain others. And that's going to come from what? Life sciences, biotechnology. In fact, uh, Jones Lang came out with a paper a while ago saying that Seattle is the number one growth market in uh, in biotech and life sciences in the country. So and these are people that have to be in their labs. They they can't just be working from home all the time. So where we might lose some of one uh, business sector, we could gain equally, if not more, from another sector. So uh, I think that it's going to be interesting to see over time how this all plays out. And as much as economists like to think we know everything, unfortunately, we're not epidemiologists. We, uh, I know more about that damn bug than I really want to, but it, it is a great uncertain. I mean, how many letters of the Greek alphabet are we going to get through before we get this thing figured out? Yeah, no, agreed, agreed. It just seems like the uh, the stories of somebody moving in the middle of nowhere and working off the grid is what gets printed, not oh. about the thousands of jobs that are being filled in the Pacific Northwest and people are, you know, moving into communities and being a part of the community in the school and everything else. And I think that's that's what I want to accomplish here with having you on here is uh, yeah. like talking with you about this is because you really get grounded into the facts around housing economy around real estate versus just what's being printed in the noise of, Hey, look at this couple that moved to the middle of Idaho and they're living there off the grid and homeschooling their kids. I mean, that's a great story, but it's not the masses. And you're, and you're right. And I'll be honest with you. It's uh, the only time my phone rings off the hook. We know almost speaking to an economist when life is rosy. When everything's falling apart, that's when we become rock stars. Uh, and, and so that's uh, that's where we are today. But And you're right. I mean, uh, numbers don't lie. Um, I, I call it the way I see it. But you are right. There, there's other stories. And I'll give you a good example. Our offices in Montana, for example, had more home buyers buying second homes coming out of Los Angeles and out of New York than they've ever seen before. Might be a great story, but... I, I would leave with this. I want to see a Los Angelian survive a Bozeman winter. They might have watched too many episodes of Yellowstone, and I get it, uh, but but it will be interesting to see how that plays out. Yeah. But ultimately, you're right. I, I think it really is going to be, uh, we're not going to disappear to the wild blue yonder. I do think uh, the resurrection, re-emergence of the suburbs is going to be a, a big factor as we go forward. But we also need to understand that here in Western Washington, it's got a finite amount of land uh, and we're not going to make any more of it. The trouble is limit supply, have net new demand forces up land prices. So land prices have gone parabolic on residential and on commercial. And that uh, that has significant impacts beyond the other supply chain issues and construction costs and labor costs and these kinds of things. So uh, developers were put on this planet to do one thing, that's build stuff. They want to. Uh, but you have to take some of those obstacles out of the way. And I was very pleased, by the way, to know that uh, note that uh, uh, Governor Inslee and I do sit on Governor's uh, Council of Economic Advisors. I've been yelling at him about housing for a long time now. And he is now looking to implement a plan which would allow 
the uh, for increased density within half a mile of any mode uh, of mass transit across the state, not just talking about light rail here in Seattle. And it's a scaled down version of things we've saw originally in Minneapolis, where you can build duplexes, triplexes, or, or four-pack units in any single-family zone. Oregon, or the whole state, implemented that uh, last year. And in fact, Governor Newsom in California signed uh, Senate Bills 8, 9, and 10 a few weeks ago, which will implement the same proposal within the entire state in 2022. So they're trying to figure it out. We need to as well. We're going, we've got to, at least we're stepping the right direction, but it's not enough. And we do need to understand that our younger first-time buyers, our millennials, Gen Y out there, they're getting old and they do want to buy a home. The question is, what can they afford and where can they afford it? And yeah. builders are not building to that marketplace. Well, I know there's always been the issue with the condo laws, right? I mean, there are so many lawsuits, everything around the condo laws, and they just quit building condos because, I mean, the liability exposure and everything that was tied to that, is there... Has there been any, any updates on that as you're part of the economic committees? Have they, have they talked sure. about that? Yeah, I mean, well, there were significant adjustments made to the Washington State Condominium Act a couple of years ago, um, which was supposed to remove some of these more frivolous lawsuits. However, uh, builders are still looking to get insurance, which is still remarkably expensive to get wrap insurance in their buildings. But more importantly, uh, is the cost of construction. If you talk about high-rise construction, type one construction, um, that's going to cost a builder $1,000 a square foot to build it. That means you have to sell those units for 1400 bucks a foot to make a margin. Well, how deep is that market for a 1,000 square foot home for $1.4 million? So we have not seen, we've got obviously a handful of projects underway today, uh, but we did not see that resurgence coming out of the bursting the housing bubble when, quite frankly, every builder, residential, became an apartment developer uh, and not a condo developer. So there is still certain uh, caution going on in, in that arena. Uh, but it, again, it's not going to be that panacea. You can say, well, we've got this population, let's bung them all in high-rise buildings. Because of cost, that's not going to work. So uh, we, we need to look at it in a slightly different vein. But the trouble is, in our region, as it is across the country, uh, it is a massive nimbyistic pushback. You've got people, and I uh, talk to a lot of them, that think I want to throw 100-story buildings up all over the place. I don't. But they're worried about uh, the fact that if you allow duplexes or whatever in their uh, neighborhoods, that's going to decrease their housing value. I would argue it won't. I would argue it actually will do the opposite. Yeah. Um, but uh, people just intuitively, they believe what they believe. Yeah. But we really do need, and I think we will, one of the stories for 2022 will be a greater focus by jurisdictions, counties, and the state on housing, on housing affordability. Because, Derek, you need to think about it this way. For a lot of businesses now, they can be wherever they want to in the country. Most companies are a national, multinational. So there's two things that they worry about when they're looking to expand more than anything else. And one is, is there a talented workforce I can hire? Well, we're wickedly smart here. In fact, the city of Seattle has got the highest percentage of population with a bachelor's degree or higher than any other city in the country. Uh, so we've got that. So they want to be here because of that. But the CFO, however, is going to say, well, how much do we have to pay people? The biggest component of salaries is cost of living. So at what point do they say, i got to pay people how much not to live in a shoebox? Well, then you could say that will be to the benefit of Tacoma, but it could also be to the benefit of Spokane, of Boise, Idaho 
of Las Vegas, Nevada. So we, we as a, a state and certainly as a region have lived on the backs of giants for over a century, starting with Bill Boeing, starting just down the street, street from me here in South Lake Union in 1917, through Microsoft, through Amazon, more by luck than judgment. So uh, at what point uh, a company is going to really start thinking twice about being here purely based upon the fact of the cost of living and the cost of housing? So we need to be very thoughtful about how do we address that because we need to, if we're going to start, stay, or we're going to stay rather on the leading edge uh, of uh, economic growth in the country. Yeah, no, I think that's everybody's mind from an investor perspective as well, is just looking at it and saying, is that too much? I mean, what what's interesting is we pass on opportunities to acquire here because we're from here. And then I'm watching people come from other regions and they're gobbling them up going, wait a minute, this is, I mean, look at the numbers, look at the facts and where you, would I rather buy a, in commercial terms, a four and a half cap or a five and a quarter cap in West Seattle, or do I want to buy a six cap in Little Rock, Arkansas? Yeah. Uh, again, two things. One, cost of capital is still remarkably low, but everyone is doing one thing. Everyone is chasing yield. Yeah. Uh, where else are you going to put your money? Uh, Keep your money market account, make you a tenth of a point. I don't think so. So with those two things in concert with each other, that certainly uh, leads to solid structural demand uh, for the long term. So, yeah, we are cheap compared to certain markets in the West Coast, and we, and we know that. And we have a lot of positives going for us. But unless we fix, fix the shelter issue, shelter is an organic good. We've always needed it. Uh, at what point is that going to change? Uh, and also, if businesses move... Uh, to what I define as being a, a hub and spoke model, as in they're unlikely to leave their core uh, mother office, for want of a better word. But as they grow, they're going to send spokes out into other secondary and tertiary areas. So what impact is that going to have? And that's why I mentioned places like Boise, who they've seen their prices go parabolic over the last couple of years, seen it already in Spokane. Uh, and they're going to start shifting out to these basically cheaper areas um, but maybe they were cheaper because of housing cost. Yeah. Uh, but that, that in turn is also starting to change. Yeah. No, makes sense. And I guess the last two markets for us to talk about would be the mm. Tri-Cities and Bellingham. What do you see uh, in those two areas? Uh, well, Tri-Cities uh, is fascinating. Uh, it's a lot of haves and have-nots, a lot of have-nots there as well. Uh, you've got a, a lot of uh, engineering companies out there um, doing very, very well naturally around Hanford and what have you. Um that, again, is a market which I think has got legs. Uh, it's a place that people want to be. It's that combination of small town feel, still got uh, decent recreational uh, abilities out there as well, which are becoming important. I mentioned Boise a, a while ago, great regional airport, really good convention center, which was, believe it or not, built by the co-founder of Micron, who then gave it to the city for nothing. Uh, so and that's uh, that's attracting a lot of, a lot of companies to go there. Tri-Cities, I think, uh, is an area, and I was giving a speech there a few months ago, which I think it is one which I expect to overperform. Um, certainly it didn't lose on a percentage basis as much as the Puget Sound region in terms of jobs. Seen a lot of those come back already. Has got the incomes, has got an, an interesting age demographic. A lot of people getting older in the Tri-Cities as well. But that also brings a lot more money with them as, uh, as much as anything else. So, uh, yeah, I, I think that that, that Kenwick area is one which, wouldn't surprise me to uh, to do rather well as we move forward. Uh, sorry, I missed you. your last one again. Was where uh, up north the the Bellingham oh, region? Bellingham. You know, Blaine, Bellingham. Yeah, I mean, Bellingham obviously 
overly impacted for one reason, they're closing the border uh, with Canada, uh, which has a massive uh, influence uh, on that market. I mean, again, going back in time, I always used to gauge how well the Belly McConaughey was doing, driving up there by looking at the number of Canadian uh, driver's license or car plates in the malls. Uh, that, that went away. Coming back, certainly, uh, reopening. But now the question is, is it going to close again uh, because of Omicron? I, I certainly hope it doesn't. Beyond the issue, the double whammy they've had with, uh, with the flooding that's been going on there recently. But it, it's, a, and it's an interesting market up there. Naturally, it's got a fairly high susceptibility to uh, uh, because it's a college town uh, as much as anything else. So that it does drive a lot. But now we are seeing kids going back to Western, go vandals. So that, that, that's a good thing. But uh, I... I think that their growth uh, up there is going to be reasonable. I mean, we see up in Whatcom County, though, uh, it actually lost population last year. Uh, they shed about 550 people uh, in the year, which is somewhat counterintuitive. Um, but uh, all things being equal, uh, as long as the borders stay open, that's naturally highly beneficial for that market. College students going back to school, again, is a positive for certain uh, industry sectors. Um, but up there in that market, it's going to be, uh, I think, one that is it's going to continue recovering. But I, I just, I'd be surprised to see much, anything particularly bullish there, at least that I'm looking at right now. But that can certainly change very, very quickly. Uh, but they'll probably add on a bit more than 4,000 jobs next year up in Bellingham. Uh, and in Kennewick, well, Kennewick's growth, uh, I think, is going to be a bit more robust Um Sorry, I'm yapping to myself so I can actually kind of find my numbers. So, you know, we're probably looking for um, about growth, actually, is going to be, uh, be pretty positive. We'll probably see about another 8,000, um, 8 to 9,000 new employees there in 2022. And that's Kennewick? Kind of that's like, Kennewick, yeah. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's a, it, I, I like that market. Um, got a few pieces of property over there on the, on the retail side. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and and the neighborhood centers, right? I've always been a neighborhood center guy. I like the uh, you know the, the the dentist, the hair salon, the nail salon, the things right. that Amazon Amazon's not cutting your hair, you know. So um, don't say too loudly. Somewhere or another, they'll figure out how to do that. <laughs> Send a drone to your house or something. That's true. Get cut by a drone wouldn't be too fun. Um, but uh, but that's another one of those areas. And I, you know, I'm in Arizona right now because I uh, I split some time back and forth. And it's interesting talking to people down here because we talk about water, right? The water down here in Arizona is coming from the river and they pipe it all in. And then I keep telling them the natural resource we have in the Northwest is I don't think we're going to fall short of our water reserves. We fill it up every time we get our melt off every year. Um, and it's just a beautiful place to be. And I think that the, those minerals, those natural minerals like water are going to, it's going to sustain us to go into the future and being a great place to look at and a great place to invest. Oh, there's no doubt about it. As I mentioned we, we, earlier in our conversation, that migration away from California, and a lot of that is being driven uh, by climate change. Uh, and it's by those forest fires, it's by the flooding that's going on there. And uh, and so really, I look at the Pacific Northwest in general, uh, let's just say Washington, Oregon, Idaho, as being beneficiaries uh, of that situation. And more importantly, I think as we go forward in time, that climate's going to become more important for would-be home buyers and also investors. I mean, we all know that the, uh, the blue lining does go on already. It's not really talked about, uh, but climate can impact the mortgage rate 
that you get if you're buying a home uh, or your cost of capital uh, on the commercial side. Uh, and that, again, is if you can figure out other places to be, that just takes a modicum of risk off the table. Yeah. Yeah, no, that totally makes sense. All right, Matthew. Well, I know I've taken up a lot of your time here. I always love talking to you um, as we as we sign off here. Any any uh, any parting thoughts for the uh, for the audience regarding uh, either the end of 2021 or going into 2022? Well, I, I think there's a couple of things, one of which is uh, obviously a lot of people conflated COVID-19 and the uh, the recession that occurred because of it. And everyone looked back to the Great Recession. Oh, going back to that point in time, it took us, what, 62, 61 in the state of Washington, and more than 60 months to recover all the jobs lost. We're not even close to that point now, and yet we are getting getting up there. Uh, it's done to recover. So the recovery is more robust. The recession occurred through no real economic reason, other than the fact, little bug, and we turned the lights off. That's going back on. But more importantly, I think for next year, what people will find important personally and professionally is likely to have undergone a, a paradigm shift, which is not going to be temporary. I think a, a lot of people's thinking has been changed, quite frankly, in perpetuity. So that has ripple effects across all industry sectors and across all real estate sectors as well. All of a sudden, where uh, uh, living close to, to downtown was important, well, now having a dedicated workspace or at least Zoom space has over, has been uh, that is being more important for people. Uh, also, broadband internet access, far more important. Um, but if you look at the more of those face-to-face -face industries and where we still see issues in leisure and hospitality, certainly hotels. Um, I think large hotels will be fine, but the small ones, small boutique hotels and uh, the inns, that that. I think it could be problematic. It wouldn't surprise me to start seeing more of those start to turn over, potentially also going to foreclosure. So that is just a, a sector which is the future is still a little bit uncertain. Although having traveled to Mexico a week or so ago, a lot of people are out and about, a lot of people on the, on my plane. <laughs> That's a positive. But the biggest issue for employers in hotels, also in bars and in restaurants, finding labor. They can't find it. People don't want to do it. Uh, and certainly, if you look at, at uh, let's say, room cleaning or uh, in a hotel, well, the staff are saying, well, you laid us off day one. Now you want us to come back for no additional pay and clean rooms that we think somebody just died in. Uh, so they're not. So we're already seeing significant wage inflation there. Bars, restaurants are now having to pay more. In fact, I live on Queen Anne Hill and uh, there's a McMinimins around the corner from me. And there's a big sign on the front door saying a thousand dollar bonus for a line cook at McMinimins. Let that sink in just a second. Yeah. Uh, so we are going to see, uh, I think, some wage inflation significant in, in that respect. Likely it will be a direct pass through to the end user. So you and I will have to pay more for our cocktail or our dinner uh, or a hotel. But there are concerns there as to how that will look uh, as we progress through. Yeah. So I look at 2022. The economy is in good shape in February and March of 2020. It really was. Full employment, looking everything's looking great uh it changed overnight for no man induced depending on which way you look at it reason um but it, but it was a, a an influence totally out of our control the recovery therefore is so far been quicker but i i really think that the way people look at industry look at their own personal situation has shifted and that shift is likely 
to stay in place. I, I don't really think that we will ever go back to business as normal. So what will that look like? And certainly how would that impact the uh, development markets, both residential as well as commercial? I think it's going to be fascinating to see maybe in a year's time, or probably a bit more than that, given how long it takes to get permitting around here, uh, what that will look like. And also where people do choose to live. Are we going to see that research in the suburbs? Are we going to see our downtowns, which people were worried about, going to be turning to ghost towns? They haven't. Uh, but is that going to be a bigger issue again going forward? But we need to find still more people move here uh, than move out. And I don't see that changing, not just in the Puget Sound, but across the state. Where are they going to live? What are they going to do? And how can we accommodate their needs? And as investors, uh, look to markets, industries, or, or sectors, which can give us ideally the greatest return with the least amount of risk. Right. Uh, and that I think is going to be uh, very interesting to weigh over the course of the next, not several months, but I'd say several years. Yeah, yeah, totally makes sense. Totally makes sense. Well, Matthew, as always, appreciate having you on. Um, wishing you and yours a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. Uh, you just came back from vacation in Mexico, so you're nice and relaxed. And uh... Uh, relaxed. I'm freezing my butt off right now in <laughs> Seattle, where it's 38 degrees. So thank you. So I see you sat out there in wonderful uh, Arizona. Yeah. Well, I'm trying not to have too much sunshine behind me because I didn't want you to start looking at me and then cut the call short and say, I'm not going to watch that. But uh, <laughs> no, uh, Not but a it, problem. It, best of both worlds, Arizona and Washington State. I mean, I can't ask for a better uh, a better life. That is for sure. There you uh, go. Well, thanks again, and uh, and wishing you the best. I know we'll be talking uh, next year, and uh, look forward to uh, continuing to follow your information. Um, where can people find your information? By the way, where, where's the best way to sign up for your report? Oh, uh, I, well, honestly, the easiest thing to do is just kind of Google Matthew Gardner Seattle, and you'll you'll find a lot of things all over the place, and you should be able to get some links from there. Um, but obviously, you can get hold get hold of a, a Windermere broker if you happen to be anywhere near, and, okay. and they can certainly sign you up for my reports and the videos that we uh, we publish regularly. Okay, well, great. Well, thanks again, Matthew. Appreciate it, and uh, again, uh, always appreciate your time, Derek. Great pleasure. Uh, thank you for inviting me. Enjoy Arizona. Uh, Merry Christmas to you and yours, and I do look forward to us talking again, maybe sometime in the new year. Absolutely. Thanks again. All right. Take care. Bye. Now.